They called it Mach 39. Mach 39. It was dubbed as the world's fastest speed skating suit. Uh, Defense and aerospace giant Lockheed Martin even had a hand in designing it. And everybody was absolutely convinced that it was going to help our team mop up the medals at the Olympics. But everybody knows by now that uh, the phrase mopping up would be quite generous to describe the one event in which we meddled. And then came the blame game, right? Well, it was the suit, you know. It was the suit. That's what it was. Uh, No, it wasn't the suit. It was the fact that we uh, waited until the Olympics to compete in the suit. Uh, uh, And then some said, no, 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 it wasn't it. It was because we didn't train at sea level where the games were played. That's why. And and finally, uh, the team took ownership. It wasn't the speed skating suit. It wasn't the altitude. It was operator error. It was operator effort. That's what it was. Like any good champion would, they said, it wasn't the suit, it was the skater, and we're going to do better four years from now. Was I the only one to follow that little story? You know, I mean, it's just, okay, Randy, so what? Ah, here we go. Here's the so what. The so what is this. I learned an awful lot about drag when it comes to racing. I learned an awful lot about how important it is to be aerodynamic and to be sleek and, and to cut through the wind resistance. And I learned an awful lot about uh, the importance of racing lightly. Racing lightly. It's not just an Olympic principle. It's a principle in our spiritual life. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1? where the Hebrews writer says, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. There it is. What's true in Olympic racing is also true in our spiritual lives. We need to lay aside the weights. We need to lay aside the sin. We need to give it up. And that's why we've started this series this morning leading up to Easter called Give It Up. Give it up. Lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. We serve a loving God who is not a curmudgeon who deprives us sin because he just doesn't want to have us have any fun. It's not the God we worship. The God we worship knows what sin is and what it does. It waits us, but not just sin. The scripture says every weight. So the weight of shame, the weight of guilt, the weight of anger, the weight of uh, doubt. See, these things can also weigh the weight of regrets. The weight of our hurts, those weights can keep us from 
running with endurance the race marked out for us. Because the truth is our Christian life isn't a speed skating event. It's really a marathon, isn't it? A cross-country event. And if we're going to finish and finish well and finish strong, we need to lay aside these weights. And so that's why between now and Easter, I want us to spend some time talking about the kinds of weights that we need to put aside. And I promise you, by Easter, it's going to be warmer than it is today and greener. Hope is on the way. But between now and then, we're going to spend some time talking about what it means to, to uh, lay aside the weight, the weight of shame, the weight of anger, the weight of doubt, the weight of anxiety, the weight of worries. But before we talk about those weights, I want to talk about the one weight that needs to be set aside that will enable you and empower you and strengthen us to lay aside all of these other weights. It's very important. This is why I'm so glad I didn't want to wait till next week. I'm glad we did. I, I, I didn't want to wait till next week. I just prayed with uh, one of our elders before service. I said, I'm so glad we're meeting here today because this is, this, everyone who's here is here today because God, God knew the weather. He's got it all planned. He's sovereign. So you're not here today by accident. But let me just tell you, the word of the Lord today is, if you're going to lay aside all these other weights that we're going to talk about, You need to lay aside this first one, this primary one, this cardinal weight, and it is this. God wants, before you give up the shame and give up the doubt and give up the anxiety, you have got to give up playing God. If you want to, that's the big idea today. If you want to be with God, if you want to serve God, if you want to love God, if you want to enjoy God, if you want to be satisfied in God, you must give up playing God. Now today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture and we're going to learn about someone who uh, discovered that. And he learned it late in life, but he learned it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23, and we're going to be reading verses 32 to 43. And that's in page 884 in your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, um, please take the Bible that's in the pouch in front of you and put your name in it. Take it home as a gift from this church family. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. 
And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is God's word. Luke calls them criminals. Uh, Matthew's gospel is more specific. He calls them robbers. But the word is literally insurrectionist or revolutionary or terrorist. That's what you could call the word. So we're not talking about a couple of shoplifters here. We're talking about uh, armed insurgents, zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome. And we don't know very much about them, hardly anything about them, really. We don't. We don't know how they were recruited. We don't know about their terrorist training camp that the zealots had. We don't know. We don't even know how they were caught. We don't know. We don't know. All we know by the time we read about them in Luke chapter 23 is that they're holding Roman spikes. The trial was fast. The sentence was swift. The death would be slow. Both were condemned to die. Both were led out of the city with Jesus. Both were crucified with Christ. One on the right, one on the left. They flanked Jesus. And Matthew tells us at first that they reviled against Jesus. In other words, at first, Matthew tells us, Matthew tells us that in addition to the, the, to the rulers, and in addition to the people, and then in, in addition, then these these thugs, they, they were going to go out of this world like Timothy McVeigh. Do you remember the terrorist Timothy McVeigh? The chaos he created at the Oklahoma City bombing oh, 19 years ago, maybe almost 20 now. Remember Timothy McVeigh before his death, just before, just before he was injected with that poison that killed him. His last words were from the poem Invictus. He went out defiantly. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Man, he just went out defiantly. No regret over the people that he murdered. None whatsoever. They were going to go out just like that. They were. But there's a big difference between lethal injection and crucifixion. Huge difference. And as the hours slogged on, Something happened to one of those terrorists. Maybe 
Maybe it was the fact that he realized that his death was impending. Maybe it was the fact that he realized that he wasn't going to come down off that cross alive. Maybe it was the eerie darkness that overtook the land. You can read about it in verses 44 and 45. There was darkness over the whole land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That's noon to three. The sun's light faded. Maybe that was what it was. I don't know. My guess was it was Jesus. The scripture says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Like one before its shear is silent, he did not open his mouth. While, while the rulers railed and while the soldiers scoffed and while the terrorists taunted, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed there. His prayer, we read in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That prayer, that prayer can be said of me. When I try to play God, when I choose to dethrone God in my heart, when I take the steering wheel of my life, when I feel like I know what I'm doing, I don't need your help, God, I'll handle it from here. Even when I'm hurting Jesus, he prays for me. Father, forgive Randy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's clu- he doesn't have a clue how clueless he is. Please forgive him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. My goodness. And just then, sarcasm spoke from one side of the cross. Well, do something. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Oh, and if you happen to be the Christ, you know, we'd like some saving too. Isn't it amazing how people can see and be in the same room and have this in the same event and have the same experience but come to two diametrically opposite conclusions. Both were on the cross. Both were dying. Both wanted to be saved, but both went about it differently. One looked to Jesus and saw only himself. The other looked to Jesus and saw hope. One looked to Jesus and, and saw a way down. The other looked to Jesus and was looking for a way through. One swore at Jesus while the other spoke on his behalf. The one who swore, I mean, he just didn't seem to get it that he was on that cross for a reason. I mean, this guy just wants off. King, whatever you are, just get me down off of this thing. As long as this gets me, yeah, I believe you, as long as it gets me off the cross, sure. Someone has called this tire jack faith. Tire jack faith. You know, it's a tire jack, a dirty tool that you keep in your trunk till you have a flat tire, and then you pull it out and you let it do the dirty work, and then when you're done, you put it back in the trunk and you forget about it. Jesus, if you're such a good tire jack, then get me out of here. Jack me down off of this cross. Jack me out of this sickness. Jack me out of this financial mess. Jack me out of this lousy job. Jack me out of this crummy marriage. Just get me out of here. And that's when the other guy had had enough. He'd had enough. I like how the message paraphrase describes verse 40. The message simply says, but the other one made him shut up. Verse 40. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. As the last sands of life were trickling through the hourglass one of the condemned criminals dons the judge's robe and he pronounces Jesus innocent. Finally, someone tells the truth about Christ. The religious leaders had rejected the truth. Judas had betrayed the truth. Peter had denied the truth. Pilate had had washed his hands of the truth. But here, a dying terrorist has the courage to speak the truth. And what he speaks is nothing less than the gospel itself, the message of Christianity, the reason why we gather here. You are innocent. I am guilty. I have sinned. You have not. I deserve to die. Jesus, you deserve to live. I'm not God. Jesus, you are. Jesus, if there is a crumb of mercy left at the table of your kingdom, would you please remember me? Remember me kindly. Remember me with grace. Remember me when you enter your kingdom rule. Verse 42. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice, notice, how he, notice how he simply calls him Jesus. Not rabbi, not teacher, not master, not Lord, just Jesus. Do you know that this is the only time in all four Gospels where someone addresses Jesus simply by his name, Jesus? Not, not Lord Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, just Jesus. It's very intimate. It's very intimate. And here's the deal. Some saw Jesus raise the dead, yet refused to believe. This man saw Jesus being put to death, and he believed. Right there. Right then. He decided to stop playing God. I'm not God. I'm going to give up playing God. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like when we stop playing God? Well, it looks like a lot of things. But, but it, looks, it looks like I get to the point in time where I get tired and I get exhausted, and I'm fatigued of trying to manage and control life all by myself. I'm tired of being the baseball player who's trying to play all nine positions at the same time. I'm tired of being the actor who's trying to run the whole theatrical show, acting, directing, producing, doing the lighting, the admissions. I mean, I... To stop playing God means that I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life has become 
unmanageable. Now, what does that look like? What, what, where is my life unmanageable? Where is it? Well, consider these questions. What, what, what are the things that I'm afraid of, even though I know better? Am I angry at someone? Why? What makes me angry? Anybody been pushing my buttons lately? You see, instead of asking the question, why are they pushing my buttons, maybe the better question is, why do I have those buttons in the first place? What makes me anxious? What, 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 what are my worst personality traits according to others? And do they have a point? And do I have any tendencies that tend to get in the way of my relationships? And in what ways do I try to justify those tendencies? What have I been trying to defend which is, in fact, indefensible? What is it? I'm going to stop playing God. I've got to realize my life, my life has become unmanageable. And, and you know, the, the person who's the baseball player trying to play all nine positions at the same time is, well, e- even more deluded when that person thinks, well, what I need to do is just try harder. It's not working. It's not working. Stop playing God. It it means to trust that there is a God and you're not that person. That God exists. That I matter to him and that he has the power to help me. I think that's what's behind his request. Remember me. Literally, remember me. Put me back in union with you. I've been, I've been isolated. I've been separated. I've been apart. Unite me with you, Jesus. It means then to commit all of my life to Christ's care and Christ's control. Finally, finally, this guy is at the point where he wants God to be in charge of his life. You want to be with God, you've got to stop playing God. And this is what he did. This is what he did. But it's really at this juncture here that I want to just ask the question that maybe everybody's thinking, maybe it's just me. The question people are maybe thinking, but they're afraid to ask their preacher, and it's this. Oh, come on, really? It's an 11th hour conversion. How sincere can that be? Really? Of course. Deathbed conversion? Come on. Come on. You know what? I'm the first person in this room to think about this. I've been thinking about this all week. And here's what I've concluded. That I even asked that question, well, says something about me. Like, well, I would have never got myself in that position in the first place. Or, you know, I mean, you know, I, I've lived a button-down collar life. I, I wouldn't even go, wouldn't even go this far. Is this, you know, it's just kind of like, you know. Wow. You know, someone once said that um, from a certain perspective, depending upon your vantage point, the earth is as smooth as a billiard ball. Now, from 
the perspective of Windsor Road Christian Church right here, right now. I mean, there's Mount Everest, there's the Dead Sea. Highest point, lowest point. Huge difference. But from the edge of our solar system, the earth is as smooth as a billiard ball. You know, from my vantage point, it feels like I'm light years away from the lifestyle this guy lived. From my vantage point. But from a holy God's vantage point. It's like both of us trying to jump to the moon. Do do, do you see what I'm saying here? There's only sinners here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And your pastor is one too. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. They're just sinners here. This guy deserve grace? Of course not. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be grace, right? So no wonder he begs. He doesn't have a chance. He doesn't deserve mercy. No one does. But he receives it, not because he deserves to get it, but because the king desires to give it. And it's here that Jesus performs the greatest miracle of the cross, the miracle of forgiveness. Everyone was demanding that Jesus do some saving that day. And that's exactly what our Lord did. A sin-soaked criminal is received by a blood-stained Savior. Verse 43, and he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today... You will be with me in prayer. Today, that word today almost always appears in the context of a saving moment. Today, in the city of David, is born to you Christ the Lord. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, we have seen extraordinary things. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives more than the man asks. He just wants to be remembered somewhere out there in the distant future when somehow Christ restores everything. Jesus says, no, 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 that today, that today you will walk with your king in his garden. You see, paradise literally means a walled garden or a tree-enclosed park. Think Allerton Park. When a Persian king wanted to honor someone in his kingdom, he would invite that someone for a walk in the park with the king. So Christ is not simply offering immortality. He's offering companionship. The king gave him the honor of a guided tour through his own royal park. Not because he deserved it, but because the king desired it. It's not about my goodness. It's about his grace. That's why Paul would say in Titus, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. If you want to enter paradise, Jesus' mercy is your admission. If you want to be with God, you've got to give up playing God. There's one God. His name is Jesus. This man made a thousand wrong choices in his life, but he made one right one. And now he's in heaven. 
I don't recommend this lifestyle. I don't recommend his choices. I don't even recommend his timing. The 11th hour, that's right. He had the luxury of knowing his impending death. You don't. So you'd better ask today. Have you? He did. And if we went to paradise today, we would see a former thug who knows more about grace than all the seminary libraries combined. Someone put it this way. No one else would have given him a prayer, but in the end, that's all he had. And in the end, that's all it took. If you want to be with God, you've got to give up playing God. I read about a fellow who did some shopping at a commissary on a military base. And he didn't need much. He just needed coffee and a loaf of bread. He's standing in line at the checkout stand. And behind him is a woman with a full cart. Her basket is overflowing, groceries, clothing, even a Blu-ray player. It's his turn at the register. The clerk invites him to draw a piece of paper out of the fishbowl. She says, if you pull out the correct slip, then all your groceries are free. He says, well, how many correct slips are there? She says, just one. So the bowl is full. His chances are slim. So he tries anyway, and he gets the winning ticket, which is good. Well, then he realizes all he has is coffee and bread. What a waste. But this fella is quick. And without missing a beat, he turns to the lady behind him. And with, one, with the one with mountain of stuff, he says, honey, we won. We don't have to pay a penny. She looks at him. He winks at her. She catches on. She steps up, puts her arm in his, and there they stand, newly married by good fortune. (laughs) Out in the parking lot, she hugs him, then goes off and tells her friends. Goes off and tells her friends the story of mercy and grace. Yes, yes, I know, I know. Of course, what what happened was shady. You know, what happened to her is a lot like what happened to that terrorist and us. The difference is, you know the difference is? She could have paid for her pile. We can't. We, like that woman, have been given a gift, and not just at the checkout stand, but at the judgment seat. And we, like that woman, have become a bride, not just for a few minutes, but forever. And not just for groceries, but for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Why? Oh, because God is good. And we stopped playing God so that we can be with God forever. That is a story that you can tell your friends. Amen. Heavenly Father, if you kept a record of our sins, who could stand? 
Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for remembering us. Thank you that because of your riches, we don't have to chase and achieve on this futile pursuit of being remembered. We just know you remember us. That's what counts. Help us give up playing God so that we can enjoy you forever in your garden. Amen.